Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. Uh, my intention is not to finish this text, you know, during the retreat, but to finish it in Green Bay on Tuesday. So um, everybody's welcome. There's still some space, so if you are, we'll find a place for you to stay. Come. So let's just sum up. The Buddha's in the forest, in solitude, talks about everything that comes through our body and our awareness that gives rise to uh, fear and to uh, dread. I added anxiety. And then he speaks about how he settled himself. He calmed himself down. And how part of what happened when he started practicing mindfulness is that some energy showed up, virya, some, some energy which brought some confidence. And then as he continued the practice and got calmer and calmer and calmer, he came in contact with these four different stages of concentration, these four different states of concentration. And then, as the fourth one started to fade, something shifted. And he says, when my concentrated mind was purified, bright, unblemished, rid of imperfection, on and on, you know, he, he, he describes his mind in all of these ways. He started to remember past lives. He remembered one birth, Two births, three births, four, five, ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, a hundred, a thousand, a hundred thousand eons of world contraction, world expansion. And then he saw, there I was, with such a name, in such a clan, with such an appearance. This was my nourishment. Such was my experience of pleasure and pain. Such was the length of my life. Then I passed away from that life, reappeared elsewhere with a different name and a different family 
and a different appearance. And then I had different nutriment, different experiences of pleasure and pain. And passing away from that, I reappeared again. And this is what he starts to see. We can access these deeper levels of mind that um, sometimes get opened up through ritual and through practice. And this is what seems to be happening for the Buddha. He sees all of these lives, can see who he was in a previous life, um, doesn't know what happens after his death, can only see back in time, which is kind of interesting, actually. Um, What I want you to hear in this story is what the Buddha sees are all identity markers. He's seeing the characteristics that are the deepest levels of our identity. What clan he was, what his appearance was, what he ate and what nourished him. Like if you go back and think about that list, what he's seeing are all the component pieces that make up his identity. Now, it doesn't say here, and some academic probably will like send me a bad email for saying this, but my personal imagination of the Buddha's experience of this is unpleasant. That I actually wonder to myself if when the Buddha saw all of this, if it shook him up, right? that he was seeing all the identity markers like way back, way back, way back. And that even with a really calm mind, it could maybe uh, shake anyone up. And then he says, this was the first true knowledge. So you ever wonder what happened in the Buddha's awakening? Here we go. This is the Buddha talking about it. He had three knowledges, three Vedas. And here's the first one. This was the first true knowledge attained by me. It's not the best. This isn't a good translation, because he didn't attain it. (laughs) It just happened. Um, In the first watch of the night. So there's three, if you don't know the story, there's three Vedas, three knowledges, at three times in the night. So his his night of awakening had three different sections, just like a party does, you know. (laughs) And the first section was characterized by this deep concentration that led to seeing the whole construction of his identity and how it's ancestral. Goes way back. And he could really see. The the word here, ignorance, is avidya, which just means not being able to see. So his inability to see was now brightened. Now he could see. What did he see? He saw this kind of impermanence of identity. Going way, way back. Some people interpret this whole thing as like, What's going to happen when you're reborn? And I don't think that that's what the Buddha's talking about here. 
The Buddha is not making a statement here about life after death, or life after life, or life before life. So I'm going to break this down a little bit to, to help understand it. So um, one of the words that's important to understand in terms of the structure of the personality that we don't have in English that's in uh, Sanskrit is called uh, mana. So that's M-A-A-N-A. And mana means to measure, measuring. It's also the word that's used for conceit or pride, which is kind of interesting. So when we have a kind of pride in ourselves, not big pride, just like a pride in our identity, a self-cherishing, it's actually a measuring. It's a measuring. Because the self is experienced as a measurement. Narrative is a form of measurement. Because measuring is about establishing boundaries and connotes separation and comparison. It feels like there's something in me that looks out and is aware. Doesn't it feel like that? And it feels like awareness itself has no content, no gender, no age, no color, no coming, no going. And that the awareness is looking at a self. It feels like that, doesn't it, when we're meditating? That there's a kind of awareness that's watching this self of construction. If you try and make awareness into an object of consciousness to turn around and look at awareness, then you objectify the awareness and you turn it into mana again, something that's measured. So mana, this feeling of I am, is energized by craving. <laughs> because I am is always looking for something to mirror back the experience of I amness. Because the I wants to hold something to pin itself down. And whatever it grabs, it says, that's me. <laughs> so if you grab a sensation, oh, that's me. And that's why mystical experiences, when they're not part of a larger system of training, are always cool and useless. <laughs> Do you notice that? They like shift something and they don't shift anything. Because they give you insight into the construction of the I, but you have to keep working that. Because the I never goes away. It keeps going and going and going. So we're always constructing and performing our identity by taking whatever's happening and saying, oh, that's me. And this creates a world that the Buddha called extremes. I am, 
I'm not. There is a self, there isn't a self. There is life, there's death. There is no self that you can find. But it feels like there is. And we're always in this tension. The Buddha's basic teaching of the middle path is that all extremes are wrong. To say that there's life after death is wrong. To say there's no life after death is wrong. To say that there is a self is wrong. To say there's no self is wrong. Do you understand? To say I'm the same as you is wrong. But to say I'm not you is wrong. On the night that the Buddha sat down, he had three knowledges. These are called Vedas. The first Veda is uh, previous lives. The second is um, impermanence. And the third uh, part of the night is his awakening. Uh, without reading it, I'll just tell you what happens next. You can read it on your own. So the, remember what the Buddha, just happened to the Buddha? He just like saw all of these past experiences. Right? Then he sees, oh, all beings are constantly arising and passing away. Okay, so now it shifts from the past, like in the past, I was all these identities. And then he's like, oh, now, right now in this moment, myself and all beings are arising and passing away. Arising and passing away. Now, most of us, we can only remember like 30 years back. <laughs> The Buddha gets a lot of lifetimes. The reason why the second one is so important is because it's the one that leads to his awakening. The second knowledge is the most important. More important than the concentration, more important than anything, was the second knowledge, which is that identity is not primary. It's not the base, and it's not fixed. We, us, we take identity to be primary. I know who I am. But one of the things that we're doing in meditation practice is you're seeing over and over again that your identity is not findable. You can't find your identity. Have you tried to find your identity? Identity is mana. It's measuring. <laughs> and you can't find it. And so, meditation is a practice of failing to identify who you are. 
it's a failure. So when you go home, people will say, how was the prize? Just, it was a total failure. <laughs> I could not find myself. <laughs> you find the cravings to be somebody and to not be somebody. But you can't find the somebody. You can't find it. So the way I understand this is that uh, when I walk to my cabin, there's a little, very small creek. It's not even a creek. What's smaller than a creek? A puddle. A creek? <laughs> a puddle? No, no, it's more than a puddle. It's moving, it's connected to other puddles. Mm, it's not a stream. Let's call it a creek. <laughs> Anyways. Contribute um, in, in the river, there's this one part that I step over where there's this tiny whirlpool. It's so cute. It's like a navel. There's a little, it's an innie. So there's a little river, there's a little ri- rivulet, and in it there's this whirlpool. And there's this pattern in the water that even when I have my flashlight, I can see that it's a little whirlpool. Every time I walk to my cabin, the whirlpool's there. Every time I walk there, there's a whirlpool. Same spot, same whirlpool. Next winter, probably the whirlpool will be there again. Tomorrow, probably the whirlpool will be there again. In the summer, it's probably not there. The point is, is just in a few days, I've come to rely on that whirlpool to know which way I'm going, as if it's like a fixed thing. So on the one hand, it is, because it's there all the time. On the other hand, it's just an emergent pattern that has no fixed self. And you are the same way, and I'm the same way. There isn't an awareness that's watching that. The awareness itself is also the whirlpool. So that in every moment, there's birth and rebirth and rebirth and rebirth and rebirth and rebirth. In other words, process is the primary thing, not the identity. So, let me end uh, with Dogen, who always gets the final word. (laughs) What's that? His awakening. So, here's what Dogen has to say about this. This is from the Genjo Koan. So, if you don't know Dogen, he is a Japanese Zen master who lived in the 13th century. And Dogen was never well known until now. Um, Was never uh, studied, was never um, popular until the last century, actually. And now, um, especially in America, um, he somehow speaks with a linguistic simplicity and nuance that I think really speaks to our time. So anyways, um, 
Listen to what Dogen says about this. It's really good. Did I tell you how much I love Dogen? <laughs> Firewood becomes ash, and it does not become firewood again. Yet, don't suppose that the ash is after and the firewood is before. You should understand that firewood abides in the phenomenal expression of firewood, which fully includes before and after, but is independent of before and after. Ash abides in the phenomenal expression of ash that fully includes before, right, the firewood, and after, its disappearance. Just as firewood does not become firewood after its ash, you don't return to birth after death. That being so, it's an established way in the Buddha Dharma to deny that birth turns into death. Accordingly, birth should be understood as no birth. It is an unshakable teaching in the Buddha's discourse that death does not turn into birth. So death should be understood as no death. You following this? <laughs> Birth is an expression complete in this moment. Death is an expression complete in this moment. They're like winter and spring. You do not call winter the beginning of spring. And you don't call summer the end of spring. Pretty good, huh? Brilliant. <laughs> it's one of those things that's so brilliant, I have no idea. <laughs> Every moment we're alive and dying. Every moment. When people die, they're not here anymore. And also, they're still here in your imagination and in the soil and in the sky because nothing leaves. Even though, uh, after the Buddha dies, a whole new theory of reincarnation develops again in uh, Buddhism, mostly because of the pressure from other cultures on the Buddha's teachings. But the, better, the Buddha never talked about reincarnation. Um, his commentators did. Um, and never said that you didn't reincarnate. And if we practice with beginner's mind, we have no idea what's happening in the next moment. You don't know. It's so exciting. But I have no idea what's going to happen. Oh, well. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. If you like this podcast, you can support it by subscribing on iTunes or SoundCloud. Please take a moment to rate us and leave a comment. Your feedback helps to distinguish us from the pack. You can also support us by word of mouth. Tell a friend or send a tweet. Finally, please consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Michael Stone. Even a couple of dollars a month will help us reach our goals. To learn about Michael's retreats and his online courses, go to michaelstoneteaching.com. Once again, that's michaelstoneteaching.com. With your support, we'll continue to build a community library about mindfulness and mental health that can be shared with the world. Thank you for supporting this community without walls.